and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, a cause that means a great deal to me personally. And thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear my story as well as the Williams Formula One team's planning director Richard Jones now with more to come also if you feel like getting involved further the Brain Tumor Charity is running the Conquer the Challenge through till May a virtual fundraiser for those fitness inclined and there's a leaderboard so if you're competitive this is for you all the details are at braintumorcharity.org together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumour now as you know without you and our sponsors we wouldn't be able to carry on doing what we do which is bringing you the biggest names in motorsport and delving into their lives and opinions this season we couldn't be happier to be teaming up with f1 experiences the official experience hospitality and travel program of formula one f1 experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport and let's face it any chance to get close to formula one this year we're all over it with f1 experiences official ticket packages coming direct from formula one you can get unique access that simply isn't available anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. Good things come to those who listen to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Don't say we don't treat you well. So what are you waiting for? The 2021 F1 season is set to be one of the closest in years. So get booking your F1 experience today with f1experiences.com. Hello, Tim Sylvie here. Now, today we are joined by yet another former Formula One driver, but he's a man that's done so much more than that. Before we bring him in, I first have to head, of course, to Essex. But this week, I'm not going to regale you with my Essex-based facts to introduce my co-host. No, I'm going to amaze you with my knowledge of our guest's hometown, which in this instance is Uphall, West Lothian in Scotland. And did you know that National Treasure and former Doctor Who star David Tennant was born in Bathgate, West Lothian, a mere 12 minutes drive by a drum cross road in the A89 from our illustrious guest, who in fact, I believe, also spent some time in Bathgate himself. Tennant's father was the local minister, Sandy MacDonald. Tennant has since moved away from the area, but remains loyal to his West Lothian roots. And what do you think about that, Harry Benjamin? Oh, well, I mean, I'm a big fan of David Tennant, so uh, it's always good to hear uh, hear what, what he's up to these days. Um, no, I mean, I'm a bit upset, actually, that there's no Essex facts, but hey, Sorry. you can't have one for every week. How are you? I'm all right. I think I've actually completely run out. I'm dry. There's nothing left. I've I've rinsed Essex of pretty much everything that it's ever done yeah. of any importance. Um, but uh, I think from now on, I'm just going to come up with genius facts about our guest's hometown, and that that is the first um, they'd, of, they'd probably rather hear that as well, I reckon. I think so. Uh, <laughs> it's probably factually incorrect as well, but we'll soon find out. Um, shall I introduce today's guest? Yes, very excited for this one. So today, as you might already be aware, we're joined by Paul DeResta. Now, Paul is British and more accurately, a Scottish racing driver who already has loads to look forward to as he'll be taking to the wheel of the Peugeot hypercar beast in 2022 in an incredible looking machine. He's been a regular in ALMS, WEC, DTM, and of course, Formula One, where in recent years, we've seen him also in front of the camera, impressing us all with his good humour and incredible tactical and sporting knowledge. We're here to dive into his career, thoughts, opinions, and future plans. But before we introduce him, it would be amiss of me not to embarrass my co-host, who might just be the biggest PDR fan on the planet and has frankly stalked poor Paul since this podcast began all those episodes ago, and it's frankly downright disgusting. However, fair play, he's finally got his man. Paul DeResta, welcome to the Motormouth. Um, Remember they say you learn something every single day. Um, You know, the the little fact that you had uh, before you introduced me, I was none the wiser. Um, (laughs) You know, growing up in Badgate all my life, I was born in Uphall. I got it right. In Badgate, um, but, you know... I, I was not aware of that, so it shows you how out of touch I was. <laughs> Paul, it is brilliant to have you on the podcast. And as Tim uh, said rightfully there, now the reason I tried so hard to get you on the podcast is, now not, I must stress this, not in a weird way, okay? I'm just a supporter, I'm a fan, and just to prove to you that I am, I in 2013 I bought this. 
which is uh, a, a lovely, for those of you who are just listening, a lovely model replica of your 2013 Force India F1 car. So uh, it means a great deal to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, I want to take it back to the start, if you're not already completely weirded out and want to leave the Zoom call already. Uh, but let's go back to the beginning. When you're, you're a young lad from, from West Lothian, you had some pretty, pretty impressive racing you know, connections already with a certain Franchiti family. But how did you first get into it? When did you think, right, okay, motorsport is, is going to be for me? Well, growing up, uh, my dad was very involved in Dario's career. You were talking about Dario Franchitti, and um, my dad was racing himself. So I was always about the car tracks, always about uh, when my dad was racing Formula Ford 1600 at the time, and that was mainly Knock Hill, Oakland Park. And I guess when you're just running about the pits, it wasn't a case of, you know, are you going to race? It was, when could I race? When could I get in it? And, um, you know, there's footage of me driving a go-kart before I was three years old around my granddad's backyard, um, and then I was on the track. I'm actually named after a guy that's very well known in the British carton scene, uh, Paul Deven, who um, Rye House, he used to run Rye House years mm-hmm. ago, and that's obviously been impressed quite a lot with Lewis over the years because that's where he started. Um, I, and it just, I, I guess when they say it's basically ingrained in you, it was, and mm-hmm. it, it never has got away from me. And I'm kind of going through the same at the moment because I've got a five-year-old boy um, who's kind of, He's not actively in the cart yet because of where we are, because of how busy I am, but I can see the signs that it's a case that he's... I don't need to ask him the question, to be honest. And that's what was quite nice about it. You know, It was just very much father and son with my dad. Uh, fortunately, my dad, as soon as I started, after the first weekend, he literally said, I'm stopping. Uh, because I, I won my second race a week later, six days after my birthday. And he kind of said, that's it, you know, I've given up and I get more enjoyment out of doing that. However, I'm not so sure I could do that at the moment, the age I'm at and the career I'm going through and, you know, how you put bread on the table for the family. Because yeah. You've got to be there to support them. And, um, you know, that's where a granddad might come, come back in to, to play the game. But, uh, you know, it started from such a young age. Um, it feels like yesterday. It doesn't feel that long ago. Yet sometimes when you, you look back and actually see what, what you managed to achieve, um, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking careers you know coming to an end I'm on the certainly on the, the top path of it and it's kind of fallen down the way but I still feel I'm in my peak which is the, the bit I, I like yeah that's great and good to hear that there's a, a mini director that we should keep an eye on for the future um I'm going to skip through your very early career um th- through carts and push through to um around 2004 when you won the McLaren Autosport BIDC Young Driver of the Year Award. That was obviously a very big deal then, as it still is today. And some of the, the great and good um, of, of modern motorsport have won that award on their on their way up. Did that feel like a, a big milestone to you at the time and, and a real kickstart, I guess, to your professional career? So back then, going into cars kind of when you were 18 was kind of the normal thing because senior carton, you know, you were 15, 16, 17. But I had to leave carts early just because of my size. I was, too, I was too heavy. I was too tall. It just wasn't working. So we actually went a year earlier than we wanted. And what that meant is by the time I'd done my second year in Formula Renault, I was still actually too young to be eligible to go into the prize because you had to be 18 at the time. Uh, and once you got in a Formula 3 car, it was like a no-go because that was the car that you were referenced on for that award. So I got dispensation. I was the youngest guy to win it at that time. Um, when I got in there... It was a massive deal because you were up against, you know, if you look back at the names, certainly back then that have made it and made a career out of racing, um, uh, it was just something that you had to have in your CV and more importantly, the prize money uh, for myself. But it was life-changing in the sense that part of that, um, part of when they were, you know, looking at every driver, you got to drive the DTM car. And obviously Mercedes, I uh, had connections with them uh, before that, but they said, well, we'll see how you go in that car. And that's what actually started my professional career because straight after that DTM run, Mercedes run on the phone. And before we actually got to the night of the Oxford Awards in December, I'd already signed a contract um, to be a junior. So uh, within that three, four weeks, they were they were willing to see, even if I didn't win, they, they had referenced me in that and they were very comfortable uh, to take me on. And that's where my career went. And I, you know, I'm still with Mercedes kind of alongside them up until the end of 2018. So it, it was something that, that meant a lot. And, you know, that, that is definitely when I would say your professional career started. 
Yeah. Mm. And you had, a, a, as you said, a really strong racing career going up against some big racing names as well. I'm sure the one that's documented the most is how, you know, you went toe-to-toe with Sebastian Vettel in the, the 2006 F3 Euro Series Championship and beating him as well. What was he like to compete against uh, back then? Um, Sebastian, listen, Sebastian was a very, you know, he was a very quick kid. He obviously had a great amount of backing from Red Bull and BMW at the time. Um, we all know at that point the German success in Formula 1, there was a lot of momentum behind them. Um, but the reality was we were in the same team with the same car. Um, and the only thing I had to do, I had to make it work because I didn't kind of have quite as much backing as he had. I had one chance at making it happen um, and made the best man win. Unfortunately, that year we, you know, I came out on, on top. Um, it was both our second year within the Euro Series at that point as well. Um, you know, we were racing Hamilton the year before, but he was in the second year. So it, very much in your junior stages, it was always a two-year program at that time. You couldn't expect to go straight in and win it your first year. And um, It's just a step ladder to where you are. But, you know, when you look at that, when I won the Euro Series, uh, so the top seven in the championship all made Formula One, uh, albeit I was the last one to make it, having won the championship. This shows you, depending on your sponsors back in, where yeah. it is, but you know, I went on to the DTM for four years and uh, managed to get picked up. And um, you know, being being involved with Mercedes and McLaren was a key to that because that's what opened the door to Fortune India. And and your DTM um, career is has been uh, long and impressive. How do you reflect back on that period at DTM? Um, and do you have very fond memories of it? And also. How do you look at it now with the likes of Gerhard Berger obviously involved with it? How, how do you view the series in its in its modern form? So it was definitely successful. I would say when you look back at the first four years, I had a, a good record. Um, when I went back after F1, Mercedes were in a bit of a, bit of a, a sorry state, to be honest. They were struggling. And the first two or three years was painful, actually. And then somehow we managed to restructure it, regroup. And, you know, right up to the end, they had an absolute the most dominant year that people have ever had in DTM in 2018. So it was strange how it turned around, but it showed you change can be a good thing. Um, I, I love my time there. You know, I loved who they were. They were very professional. You were representing the biggest car manufacturer in the world, who they were, probably the most prestigious, I would say, throughout the whole the whole group of what they do. Uh, they were good people. They were honest, which I think I think was key. And DTM, they were great cars. You know, They were V8 um noisy cars that um, you know looked like a road car you would see on the certainly on the road but underneath they were nothing like it they were like a single seater so they were exciting um, and you know I, I had a great time I can honestly say I absolutely had a great time um, looking at where they are now it's a shame because unfortunately the cost just ran away a little bit Mercedes pulling out always was going to be like they were the heart and soul of the championship and it was only time with their Audi were going to you know, pull or BMW, and unfortunately, Audi made that decision. Um, you know, they, they pulled out a really all motorsport um, at the moment. They're pulling out a Formula E this year, so it's obviously a different board. But that shows you what DTM is about. It's a, it was purely a marketing budget. It's not like it's a resource and development that you can can move it on. And I think that's probably where, you know, Gerhard Berger's not moved on with the times. Um, you know, I, I've got a lot of respect for Gerhard how he's done it and how he's went about the championship. He was probably at a point where when he went in, he probably couldn't see what was going to happen. Um, but at the same time, you know, they always say it needs to be an international championship. Well, unfortunately, you need to probably get away from the name to make people see it, although it was very much dominant. Because people you say, you know, whether you race DTM, oh, that's a German tour. Well, it, it's not really. It's international. But, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, mm. You know, just don't go into the details of what it actually stands for. But it's getting away from that. And... It almost happened, and it, what's the shame is um, they, they had lined up with the Japanese manufacturers. They'd done the, the race at the end of twenty, what was it, twenty nineteen, when I was racing Aston. They they obviously did a combined race in Europe, a combined race in Japan. But again, without they doing what they're doing, yeah. there you go. But it, it it almost got over the bridge. It had to get over, and it, it's not. And I I don't see, unfortunately. I don't see how it's going to work with the GT3 cars that they're going to go with. I'm not saying it's going to be a great championship, but you certainly can't compare it because it's nothing, nothing like for like. Yeah, it, it's keeping the DTM name, isn't it? That's that is. There's no plans to change that at the moment, right? Because it's funny you say that because it's 
people who are in motorsport, I think when you say DTM, they go, ah, oh, it's a great series. Uh, what you know, fantastic cars, great action. And and to those who are marginal motorsport fans, they go, what's that? You know, yeah. and, and perhaps it is. You know, part of their marketing strategy should be let's just rebrand. You know, let, let's call it the Global um, Touring Car Championship or something different to take away that stigma that it seems to have developed. I think what it was doing it. People were always complaining about the noise of Formula One of recent times with the, the turbo engine. DTM changed to a turbo engine, but they still kept the noise. They somehow managed to keep that in there. And it, it was kind of going down the path of this is entertainment. You know, this is marketing tool. It's not about uh, where it is um, sustainability and all the rest. And I'm not saying that's wrong and I'm not saying that's right, but it gave the pure motorsport fan that was there 30, 40, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, that moment where you walk into a, a racetrack, the hairs in the back of your neck stand up. It gave you something pure to go and watch. And if you are that, then there's clearly a mm. position for that. And I felt that's what it offered. And somehow um, that's what the fans are going to get because it's it's more about the other way. I miss those days. That you remember those days when you know the F1 cars that you you were used to driving. You know you you'd sit there at you know wherever monaco abu dhabi and the hairs on your back of your neck would stand up when you hear the the cars pull away from the grid it's amazing how quickly you forget all of that in this in this new era i just i never think about it anymore but i just it's so sad that we don't have that kind of pure pure form of motorsport anymore and we probably in a few years it'll be got it'll be gone altogether because you know it's the way of the world I know, and I still, I still look at myself. When people go and buy a sporty car, what's the first thing you get on it? Sports exhaust. Why is that? And you kind of think, well... And, and that's where, you know, I, I listen, I don't get paid enough money to stand at the top of boards and government level and trying to do all that. And very fortunate I'm not. I'm just saying from a very selfish point of view what I want to see yeah. because it's what grabbed me to the sport. And uh, what grabbed me to the sport was, you know, wanting to get to Formula 1 was walking into Silverstone, walking over the bridge corner when I found my own car went under it and it absolutely stopped me in my tracks. You know, I was under 10 and I can still feel the shiver going through your body thinking, what is that? Even, it still got me when I had a, you know, when you were going through, you stopped at the end of 2011, then you had six weeks off. First time you walked in the garage at Jerez, 2012, and they fired the car off, you know, just to do an thing. You were like, am I really going to drive that? Is that really, yeah. you know, what it's about? Because it, it gets you, whereas now, it's just very different now when you go out in an F1 car, it just goes like you, you can't believe and you're pulling gears, but it's not got that zing, that that zing is lost. But the thrill is still there and the thrill of driving the car, but it's the impact, that impact to you, what gets you. And, and listen, my you know my little man, he, he's not a big noise person, so when he hears a loud noise, he'll cover his ears. So, But quite frankly, when he's watching it, he's absolutely hooked on it, so... It's just very different, and I'm only talking from my experience what got me into it. Well, well, let's talk about that first ever bit of F1 experience you got, because obviously your Mercedes connections and your success in DTM led to you securing that first test in at the end of 2009, I think it was, with Force India. Getting in that car for the first time, talk us through the, the emotions of that. Yeah, well, for, well, fortunately, I had kind of driven a car before that. So I had done, as part of the Young Driver... I obviously drove the McLaren, um, and I can't remember if it was prior to that at the time, because of the link with McLaren and Mercedes, um, and because I was doing a little bit of sim work, I actually drove the McLaren a few times. So I'd done a couple of, um, when testing was open and wind tunnel wasn't that, the data wasn't great, I was running up and down a runway in Mallorca, um, you know, with no suspension on a car, um, <laughs> just doing aero work. So you kind of got your grips around how it works. But, um, you know, the first time you get in a car in reality, when you get on an open track and get going in Jerez, I mean, first your neck falls off. Uh, you know, <laughs> do, do you think that is really what it's going to be about? Um, but it's just, the, it's probably the fact that everybody that's there, you know, the 50, 60 people, all eyes on you, nothing's missed. Uh, you know, you fart, they've got it on, you know, record, uh, you do something wrong. They've absolutely, you know, the game you through what you can and it's responsibility and it's responsibility of not if you make a mistake be up front because they've already got you you know they, they know what's happened long before you in fact you say to them what happened there you know if you have a shunt you're like god there must have been something happened there what you know and they, can, they can go back in the data and find that um but you, you get in the car listen they're the best cars in the world so you know it's a bit like you know i can't explain it what it meant to me i can only explain it to somebody wanting something in their life 
whatever that is, and he managed to do it. And I'm very fortunate and I'm lucky enough that I got to do that. Some people haven't. Uh, and what that meant to me uh, was the biggest thing at that point. Absolutely the biggest thing that grabbed me in life. Amazing. I'm so envious. One day, Harry, will get ourselves in an, in an actual moving F1 car, not just yeah, a I'm, I'm never going to fit in one. If Paul, oh, no. Paul struggled when he was in carts and yeah. he saw, I'm six foot five and I'm not, you know, I'm not an athlete. That's not, I'm not getting in a single seat anytime soon. We did squeeze you into Mansell's old F1 car. Just about. Oh, that is true. I mean, your head yeah. was flapping around, but anyway. Um, mm. So, Paul, things were gathering pace for you. And in 2010, you were the Force India test driver, the same year that you dovetailed with DTM and um, and and won. Um, you got a full-time F1 seat in 2011, which lasted until 2013, at the end of which you went back to DTM. How did that departure in 2013 come about? Was it expected? How did you feel about it at the time? It wasn't expected, but it, it was, uh, I guess, millions of reasons. Um, you know, at that point, Sergio came in. Um, I guess it was a struggle in team or budget, um, and, and that's where it came down to. Um, you know, I, I've got a lot of respect for the people at Force India where they were. It wasn't the most honest and truthful um, part of it, to be honest, right at the very end, how it, how it went about and how it all happened. When you look back, definitely things could have changed where we were, you know, three weeks before that. It actually happened, but... Um, yeah, I guess at that point, Formula One was going through a very difficult stage, um, and it was even to get in another car. There was just there was too many drivers running about with too much funds that people wanted to look at. And, and I guess it's still nowadays. You know, you, you kind of got to come through a junior system and excel, or else it's, it's people with budget that come in because the teams need such a level of money to, to top up and get to where they are. And the development probably outclasses what the drivers bring to. Do you do you think? When you look at some of the drivers who have paid their way in to a degree, I mean, they've got to have talent. They've, you know, they've got to have super license points. They've got to have that talent to get to the top of um, motorsport and it's Formula One. But do you look at the likes of, um, for example, Lance and think you just don't deserve to be there or do, or does he deserve to be there? I mean, I, I'm actually not that I used to be very critical of him. I'm not so much anymore, but when you see these paid drivers, do they deserve their chance? Do they have the talent to be there? Or are there drivers out there who should be in their place? So with Lance, I mean, he obviously deserves to be there based on his junior formula and everything he did to get there. He's obviously had the platinum spoon um, through his life. And, you know, what dad wouldn't do that for their son all the way through their life? You know, of course, you're going to give your, your kids the best the best journey you can. And it's very much as part of it, I believe it's Lance's journey, it's Lawrence's journey, and it's what Lawrence obviously wanted to do years ago and he's not had the chance to do it. So you can see they're passionate, they're, you know, their enthusiasm where they are. I guess where it breaks down, you know, what, where I would probably base Lance is, he has not been measured up against Perez in terms of consistency. So you think, well, you want to bring another driver in to up the team and you're going to be Aston Martin. And then to get rid of Perez and the form that he's on and where he's ended up, Lance kept his drive to go alongside Sebastian. That's when people would probably say, in other teams, in other big teams, certainly the top three or four, that wouldn't have happened. You know, that wouldn't be the case because you would be going for somebody with more ability, more consistency and more of everything. But listen, he is in the position he is and we can't do it. He's, he's taking a Formula 1 seat. Wouldn't you say, though, that sort of we, we, we use this label of pay drivers and things like that, left, right and centre, but isn't every F1 driver really a pay driver? It just comes from different aspects. You know, you either, you know, have your family support or you're supported by, you know, a big like yourself, like Mercedes or Red Bull. Is that fair to say that sort of really everybody's a bit of a pay driver? Um, I guess the statement comes from people who are paying a significant amount of money to get the seat, um, you know, whether that's, 2 million to you know 40 million and that's the level that people have brought in the past mm. uh, driving in the car and you know that can even come from governments because they want they want the publicity so um it doesn't have to all be about just family money it can be sponsors and just people trying to be aware and be you know the, how accessible formula one is and the, where it goes mm. um listen, and you're never going to change it that's where it is now and um you're going to get great drivers coming through. Unfortunately, you're not going to get all the best, I think, like it was years ago. But the, how intense it is and, you know, going up the likes of Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, they need every last penny they can get. Mm. Every last penny they can get. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it's all part of it. It is almost part and parcel of what makes F1 so interesting. You know, it's that, that whole circus. 
And, you know, the, the business side of F1 sometimes is, is as fascinating as the racing itself, which puts it in quite a unique position. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first class hotels and transfers and unprecedented access, including driver appearance private pit lane walks, behind-the-scenes tours of the illustrious F1 paddock, team garages, the famous podium, and loads more. It's the closest you can get to Formula One, and thanks to F1 Experiences, Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when booking online at f1experiences.com. Now, it wasn't the end of Formula One for you, however, 2013, you did return in 2016 as a Williams reserve driver um, and actually managed to get yourself back on track after a a, a, a relatively long break in F1 terms, um, replacing Felipe Massa for, for a race. <laughs> How did it feel to get thrown in at the deep end after all those years? Well, it was one of those positions when I was with Sky and you know, I kind of got a phone call from Claire. Well, it was like two weeks before the Melbourne Grand Prix in 2016, would I be interested? I said, well, I'm there most of the time anyway, so absolutely I'd be interested. But at that point, you never really thought, well, nothing's really going to happen that you're going to be there. Um, you're, you, you know, and you look at it, well, I'm, I'm involved. If something does happen, you will get drafted in. Um, I had to be up to speed on the rules. I had to put a bit more effort in in training. And you kind of think, well, the likelihood is I'm not going to see it because... I know how ill I was a couple of times in F1 weekends, you know, in India, I had extreme food poisoning, um, and I managed to drag myself through it. So you kind of say, well, you're going to, you know, some, you're not going to give up your seat because anybody getting in your seat is just a problem. Yeah. Uh, and you, you see that with like what happened with George Russell last year Absolutely. and uh, with Lewis. So uh, you're going to do everything you can in your will to do it. And uh, when I got drafted in, it was just a shame it was at the end of the summer, just before the summer break started. Had it been the week before that Massa had his, um, his moment, you would have got a couple of Grand Prix and that maybe would have changed my life again. But to actually just be thrown in, um, I obviously was very busy at that time, actively racing DTM. I promised Mercedes that that would be where my effort was. Uh, this was a backup solution. So I wasn't, I did half a day in the simulator that year with Williams. I was at the Grand Prix. Uh, if I had left uh, a Grand Prix, if I was there with Williams, I left the Grand Prix on Saturday morning because I wasn't required anymore. But I kept myself up to date. And to be honest, uh, from when it happened on the Friday night, I was kind of prepared. Then I got there on the Saturday morning and they were like, no, he's fine. You know, he thinks he's going to be okay. He went out. And I was kind of ironing my shirt um, in the TV compound, ready to go on Sky, because at that time, Martin Brundle was actually ill and I was filling for him in commentary. And I got the phone call and said, um, you need to come down because he's, uh, he's definitely not right and you're going to be in the car. And that 90 minutes, you kind of think, how, is this, how, how am I going to achieve this? But they were very good. Uh, my knowledge from times before and the responsibility, I think what I was talking about before as well, you, you just do it. But, uh, you know, when, when I left the garage and drove down the pit lane and let go of the speed limit, that's when I felt at home. That's when I felt in the office and like, uh, it's a car I've been driving for years. And, you know, I went straight out of qualifying, hadn't driven a car for, since 2013, since I finished, I had not driven an F1 car until that qualifying session to leave it. You know, I tried to do the best I could without making an absolute mess of it, you know, bringing it back with no corners on it. Um, and, you know, at that point of the year, it's not easy because that's uh, that's when people are fighting for contracts and up against it. Hungary is not an easy place, uh, Budapest. Um, you know, the barriers are quite close. It's quite technical. And uh, I try to do my best, but uh, with every will, you, you can't expect to go straight in and be absolutely, you know, there. And I think, you know, I did the best I could. I think it's fair to say you did a very respectable job in a car that, you know, wasn't capable of really being up in the points consistently at all. So I think, and I think it was Toto Wolff who was full of praise for you yeah. afterwards. Did that, what was the reaction like afterwards? Because you'd done a, a, you know, the race didn't pan out the way you, you would have liked, I suppose you had to retire early, but qualifying was certainly, a, showed your progression really nicely. What was the sort of reaction to, you felt after, after the race? It never was going to be, you know, and that's what you couldn't expect. I hadn't even done a pit stop before the race. I hadn't even stopped in the, the box, you know what I mean? And I hadn't even done a practice start until I was going to the grid on Sunday because you're so in the moment. But it, it was quite amazing because obviously nobody had time to react and I think people thought Williams were absolutely crazy. And I remember coming back in from qualifying um, an hour later looking at my phone and 
you, of all my career, it's the most I've ever had. Of it. Every team principal literally have been in touch and um, all full of praise. You know, I remember Toto and Nikki calling me when they were going back to the hotel that evening and could not believe that he did it, could not believe how you re- represented yourself. Absolutely superb. And obviously Toto was my boss in DTM, so mm. there was a bit of a link there, but, you know, I bumped in that evening walking back to the hotel after my dinner, I bumped into Christian Horner and Dr. Marco. They were full of praise again. Um, you know, it was, it was nice to see that. Um, you know, the McLaren people were in touch. So people who you, you touch upon, you could see the human element to it, and that's where it happened. And I thought, well, hopefully I'll pick up something, but I never picked up any more reserve gigs. Um, so until last year, obviously, I was a reserve for McLaren at one race. But, I, you know, you think, well, people would see that's, that's what you're about and who you are. But I guess when you're out of touch and where you are, um, it just depends on the journey and who they want. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing to hear you talk about it like that, and and you know the the people you you rub shoulders with in Formula One, you know, Helmut Marko, Christian Horner, Toto Wolff, Nicky Lauda phoning you. It's just it, it. There must be moments where you you pinch yourself and just think, this is ridiculous. How how have I ended up here? This is astonishing. Do you do you did you ever have those moments, or did you take it in your stride at the time? Probably took it far too much in my stride. You know, you look back even if somebody was asking me the other day, and I look back at F one, you know. What would I have done different? I probably would have travelled the world more, stayed on at races, done a bit more at that time. I was still, you know, me and my wife were, you know, we were young, we had no kids. But I wasn't. I was just, you know, she was. I was like, get me home, get me training, get prepared for the next race. And I should have probably just actually enjoyed life a bit more and taken it a bit less serious. But you do what you think is right at the time and what emotionally does it. I think I did throw everything at it. Um, it you know, I'm a great believer what's for you in life is for you and you know it, it goes to you and some things don't work out some things do but listen I got three years in Formula 1 it's very unlikely I'm going to get another Formula 1 race very very unlikely I'm, I've accepted that but I'm still very much around and um, great people um, some people have worked out for the better some people have worked out for the worse um, but I can honestly say um, hopefully I've you know represented myself in the best way and um, at the same time, you know, people always say, well, it must be a bit of a bummer not racing this car. And I'm like, well, there are other things in life. You know, when, when my first, when my little boy was born for the first time, you know, seeing him smile every morning, got a far bigger smile, you know, than anything ever, ever, ever could in my life. Yeah. Uh, got a smile back in my face. You know, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you would do. That is the most important thing in life. And mm-hmm. you created this um, little creature. I think, well. hundred percent. Couldn't, I have a five-year-old as well. And, and, while he, he winds me up no end in lockdown i i can it, it is amazing being able to to be at home all the time see them in the morning put them to bed at night it's it's uh it's a pleasure um that's now, that's what's important in life a hundred percent that it completely is i've got three of the little scamps now and they, they drive me to distraction but it, i wouldn't obviously wouldn't change it for the world <clears throat> um but we, we uh before we come on to your exploits um in the future and obviously your incredible um hypercar drive which is coming up there's um a very important part of the show which i I'm going to hand over to my illustrious colleague to introduce Harry. Over to you. Yes, Paul Deresta, welcome to the hardest quiz in motorsport. Now, uh, we seem to be uh, on the theme of perspective, and perspective really is everything, I think, and that's exactly what you'll need for this quiz, because it is a quiz all about you and your career to date. Uh, We've got a a mixture of some clips that we're going to play you and a couple of questions that we're just going to chuck at you. The first two things are uh, are a couple of clips that you're going to hear. Listen to them throughout, and then we're going to just ask you a couple of questions just so you see if you can provide the context as to what you're talking about. Um, So, are you ready for question number one? Here it Let's comes. Go. Really enjoyed it. The car is very different to what I thought it was going to be. And um, yeah, when you're driving a car on edge, it's always exciting. Keeps the racing spiced up, unpredictable, and no one really knows who's going to win. And uh, ultimately, it is the future. And uh, you know, you need to look at these things. Okay. So, Paul, any idea what kind of car, what kind of championship you're talking about there? It's a DTM. Are you sure you want to say DTM? I've got no idea. Yeah. Absolutely no idea. So you were, I'm afraid it's a, it's a poor start. You were actually talking about Formula E when you did the rookie test for Jaguar. Uh, and those were your first thoughts. How, do you, how, how are you looking at Formula E at the moment and how that's progressed? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the time that I, the, the day that I did in that car, obviously. Um, 
it was very weird. Uh, when we talk about sound before, I mean, that, that's the opposite. You know, you drive with another sense, but it's amazing how you, you know, when people say, when people lose, like, their eyes or their ears or, sorry, they, they become deaf, you know, they pick up other things that kind of direct them in life. And it's just very much, you know, you change how you how you go and drive the car. And, mm. you know, within, within half a day, you get around that you understand. But the biggest thing that took me about driving a Formula E car was the actual tire noise you can hear the tires over anything yeah. else whereas normally the engine always outdoes that um yeah of course you kind of think well I, i'm making a mess of this i'm sliding big word it's just the tire working on its edge and that's what you don't obviously see with a normal combustion engine Exactly, got to get used to it, I suppose. I think it's also worth saying that, um, just a quick thing about the leaderboard, obviously, because that was a poor start, Paul. Karun is last with three and a half points. So you've got to beat him. That We've got to get more than three and a half points. I'm actually okay. sure he's a bit of a whiz kid, isn't he? Exactly, right? So you know, that's why this is the hardest quiz in motorsport. If we're looking for, if you want, if, well, I think it's out of the question now, but Mark Webber, Brendan Hartley, they're in around fifth place with 12 points. But let's see, you could crawl it back. Um <laughs> Here is clip number two. Have a listen to this. Well, Paul, I think the whole of Britain took a huge sigh and felt for you there because that podium was so close. Yeah, it's very close. We're always going to be vulnerable in the strategy we're on and at what point the race that was going to, if it was going to happen. Uh, unfortunately, I think Grosjean are not qualifying great and having two fresh sets in medium, starting a living on a three-star. Oh, he's got it. He's got it. Got it. Go on then, Paul. What, what are you talking about there? Barring 23rd. Yeah, um, that was that was heartbreaking to watch. <laughs> that was Bahrain and Singapore actually were some pretty good tracks for you, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Um, the Singapore one, um, listen, they were they, they were not freak uh, podiums. That was the thing about them. They were um, they were all very racy, and you know when, when you talk about people that I remember at Singapore the year before, Jensen, how he missed the back of Vettel at the start of the the restart of the last safety car. I mean. That, that's when you talk about luck in life because yeah. there was no skill involved there. He, he could easily be two cars out of the race. And Alonso, who was in front of me then, I was on to beat him and only the safety car saved him up to do another pit stop. So the time, if I'd been four laps later, it was fine, it was done. You know, the podium was there. And then the one in Bahrain, we actually took the safer option, not looking at Grosjean. We took the hard tire to think get to the end of the race because we were in a podium position. And I know we should have took the more aggressive one because we were what, four laps short of getting on just because he had new tires. And <laughs> change it now, Gutting. can I? That's all that could... No, no, gutting. Well, the good news is you got a full three points for that one. So that could go some way of making it up, maybe. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're on to beat. Next question for you. We're done with the clip. Um, what was the reason you were unable to finish the 2013 Belgian Grand Prix? Now, I'm assuming that's the one when Maldonado had his bit of off coming into the pits, didn't he? Um, his bit of brain feed. <laughs> that did happen, I'm afraid, with Maldonado. He had, he had that a few times, I think. Mm. <laughs> that must have been a... Because I think you're on for a good result there. And then he just... Uh, what happened? It was by the pit entry. It was pit it? entry. And, um, you know, I was kind of going for the cutback. I think he, he was, they were racing into the final bus stop. And uh, I went for the cutback. And he decided at some point in the middle of the chicane that he was going to dive in the pits. I don't know if it Williams or if he thought because he knew he was going to get past. He'd just come in and I remember ripping the, the back suspension off. But that was almost a pole position on the Saturday, that one. I yes. Sitting in qualifying and the team saying, it's going to rain during Q3, it's going to rain. And I remember watching the screen in the garage and they were just about, everybody was queuing in fitly and I went, hold on a minute, they've all got umbrellas up, up at the Kemmel Street. I was like, no, 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 send me out an inter, send me out an inter. We went out, got a lap in and literally the last 30 seconds, I think four or five people managed to beat me who were in just quicker cars at the time. But we nearly did it. But that would, you know, that would have just been basically a stroke of luck, basically, because I was sitting in the garage longer looking at the screen. But I remember the team, the team saying, no, no, it's not, it's not on the radar. And I'm like, don't look at the radar. Look at the sky. You know, and people are, yeah. you know, boots up. Well, you make your own luck in this game, really, don't you? So, so close. I'm already then. You, you've 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 beaten Karoo, so we don't need to worry about him now. You're well ahead of him, so he's he's at the bottom. You can you can shove that in his face next time you see him. And we've got two more questions for you, so there's still some more points up for grabs. Penultimate one for you. Uh, you returned obviously to F1 as we discussed in 2017 for a one-off race at Hungary, replacing Massa. But who won the race? Uh, it was the Ferraris, I think, so a bit better. Yeah, correct. Boom, he's got it in one. Okay. 
And now for one extra bonus point. In your first uh, DTM race in 2007, what position did you finish in? It was fifth or sixth. I'm going to say fifth. Yeah. Oh, good call. He's got it in one. That is a strong... We had, we had a slow start, but I, I, I was lacking faith, but we've really pulled pulled it back. Let me just do the math. One. Strong finish. We need to get Karun off the bottom of this table. He's been there since He needs to come one. back and do it. Paul, that's a very respectable uh, 10 points, which puts you equal with another Scott, uh, just above him, actually, because you're the most recent to do it, 25th position with David Coulthard. Oh, so, you know, company. good company. Yeah, that's a good, It's a good effort. Well done, Paul, for um, surviving our, our quiz. And actually, well done, Harry, for getting all, all the answers correct this time. <laughs> Wikipedia has served you well. Uh, yeah, so yeah that, that, this quiz really can take one of two ways. It's either completely wrong or I've nailed it. So that one seemed to work out there. So thank you, Paul, for playing the hardest quiz in motorsports. Now, let's talk Peugeot and hypercars that could possibly be one of the coolest looking race cars ever. First of all, massive congratulations on the seat for 2022. Um, you must be absolutely pumped for it. Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I got into, you know, I remember it was uh, during 2017, I was just, walking about the Formula One panic and you talk about it. And I bumped into Zach and he said to me, do you fancy doing Daytona uh, starting next year? And I was like, well, I haven't done 24-hour races. I was like, why not? If you're up for it, I'm up for it. You know, I'm doing nothing over the winter. Went there and absolutely fell in love with endurance racing. Never, ever thought I'd want to be um, one sharing a car, sharing, you know, the same sweaty, soggy seat um, <laughs> that it is and uh, compromising on setup. But, kind of got the bug for, you know, sharing a weekend and sharing responsibility and actually just having a bit more fun. And then from there, that developed into Le Mans, which I absolutely loved. Um, actually didn't realise what it was all about. Never ever was sure if I wanted to do it. And it is growing to be one of my favourite events I've ever done. And, um, you know, with, with the introduction of Hypercar coming in, I definitely wanted to align myself with the manufacturer. I wanted to get in there. Um, Aston Martin, when I was doing the DTM thing, you know, I was speaking to them. I was excited about that program. I, you know, I also good links with Red Bull, and they were following me through that as well. Um, but then when Peugeot came on, the you know when the Peugeot thing came up and they started talking, I mean to fall into that uh, was just key. And that was after a very strong wet last year and winning Le Mans, qualifying on pole, couldn't have happened at a better time. And I'm very excited what this is going to be about um, because you know with the 908 cars, um, you know I remember what they were about. Um, I'm neighbours with Alex Birch. We train every day together. He was obviously part of that programme. Uh, he talks a lot about it, talks a lot about who they are, what they were about, how professional they are. And I've got that sense. And to be honest, uh, great people so far and how they've worked. You know, I've known them for the last four or five months while we've been doing this uh, in the contract discussions. And um, I'm excited to see it. You know, I get my first taste of it next week, get to um, kind of go up there, they're, they're measuring me up because I'm the tallest driver to make sure I, you know, the car is built for me to get in it. Um, but to be there at the start of something like this is just going to be special. And I think um, given that they're French and Le Mans is what it's about, there's going to be definitely something and hype yeah. about this. That is so exciting. Are you able to tell us, you know, obviously a hypercar is, is replacing the LMP1 category. What, yeah. what, what the key differences do you think between the two? So the, the, the hypercar is uh, essentially what they're trying to do is get back to what it was back in the GT40, Ferrari kind of, and, and Porsche days of Le Mans. When you, you mm. kind of look at the car that's on track and kind of see resemblance of a road car you can get. And it's, um, it's a combination of obviously the, the kinetic side of things, a hybrid, um, four-wheel drive, because the hybrid's on the front, a combustion engine on the rear of V6. And um, what they're going to do is, um, you know, all these, you know, different cars can, can go and race. And what they've done with hypercar is they've brought in also quite cleverly brought in the LMDH rules, which means it's a more spec chassis, but other manufacturers can then take this and they can race it in the IMSA series in America. So you can combine both championships. So I think of brands who are, you know, got the bigger partners can then rebadge it and go and race this car in America. They can race mm. it in Europe. And, you know, they can, can mix it and what they've done is managed to reduce the budget to do it so they've managed to bring it to a, an achievable point of going professional racing um, and already you know you've got Toyota you've got Peugeot you've got Audi coming to it you've got Porsche I think Acura who's a Honda basically for anybody uh, who's done stuff in America and then you've got uh, Clickenhouse which is obviously not as well known and 
they're going to be OP them. So they're going to be more, you know, yes, there's that element of you're up against how they see you racing and them getting it right. But at the same time, you've got to play the BOP to get it right. So it's not all about just throwing money at it. So if you were comparing it to Formula One, they would pull back Mercedes after the first race and say, hold on, you're a bit too quick here. But it's about making sure you're quick in the right places yeah. and playing the game. And at some point, it'll play into your, your benefit. Yeah, it's, it's going to, I can't wait for it. It's going to be a super cool series and the cars look incredible. It's going to be amazing. Um, we're heading towards uh, the final part of the show and we will let you get on with your day soon. Um, and we have a final three questions which we ask all of our guests. Before we come on to that, we know that you're a very quick racing driver. You've had a, a glittering career, um, both in the car and obviously with Sky Sports in uh, in your more recent days. But what are you crap at? What, what are you totally useless at? My useless at uh, I can't do keepy uppies. Oh. Never been into football. Never, never, just never happened. I just anytime you put football in front of me, uh, my five-year-old could probably outclass me. You're, you're a <laughs> you're a Celtic fan, aren't you? Uh, Celtic is what the families follow. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm a fan. I'm definitely not a fan. You know, I'm not one of these people. Uh, but family have uh, and people I'm friends with. So I've been to a few Celtic games um, with friends over the years. Um, but at the same time, I'm just you know I like to watch a good game of football as I do like to watch a good game of rugby and uh, very good game recently. In rugby. Let's not talk about the rugby. We'll just park that one there, okay? We don't need to cover that. We're <laughs> motorsport podcast here. <laughs> You've got to brag about it because we don't get a lot of time to do it. No, nah, fair play, <laughs> fair play to you. That uh, it, it was an impressive result. Yeah, wh- whatever. Let's move on. <laughs> I'll move it on, Paul. I'll flip that on its head. So we know what you're awful at. Apart from racing, is there anything you're incredibly talented at? Have you got a hidden talent that we don't know about? Well, I wouldn't say I've got a hidden talent. Um, no, I mean... How are you? How's, how's the cooking? Cooking's all right, actually. Cooking was, cooking was quite good, but I, I leave the role more to my wife now. Yeah. More... Um, because, and to be honest, why, why it's kind of become that? Because I travel so much. It's such a good time for me to try and spend with the kids. Yeah. It's that half an hour when mm. she gets to... You know, and she probably likes the piece, to be honest, for half an hour, where she can just get in her zone. Um, but yeah, I can cook. I can definitely... something I enjoy doing. But we, the way it kind of works is when I'm at home, I spend the time with the kids when she's doing dinner. And she's just happy not to have them running around her ankles, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, and worrying about it. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, and I'll very openly admit, I, you know, when you're in the racing world, um, you like to be quite clean. So I, I'm very much one of these people that, you know, I'll run around the house and happily help tidy up and, and clear up because uh, I don't like living in a mess. Yeah. No, you, I can bit, see bit of OCD? Yes. Definitely. I call it CDO, to be honest, and that's an alphabetical order. <laughs> Very good. Uh, um, before, before we Brilliant. come on to our final three, Harry, um, I'm going to ask Paul one one random question, which either people look at me like, Tim, you're a complete dick. What are you talking about? Or, or they just roll with it. So I'm, I'm just going to come out with it and see, see where it lands. Uh, Paul, would, would you go for, if you could, would you choose to be covered in feathers or scales and why? Um, I like that you're thinking about it. <laughs> I'm going to say scales because you'd be more. Um, I don't know. Feathers just doesn't really do it, but the OCD just doesn't happen, does it? Ah, that's a good point. You're, you're the, one of the only people to go for scales. The first, actually, the, the very first. So it's refreshing, really. A lot of people think with feathers they can fly, yeah. but with scales you could, I suppose, swim quite quite well. Well, you live in Monaco. You're by the sea. You could you could go for very fast swims every day. Make exactly. Alex Verts look like a, a, an idiot. Um, th- 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 thank you for answering that. Now, our final three questions, and you can take these in any way you like and answer them in any way you like. Um, Harry, do you want to kick off? Yeah, Paul, what's got you excited at the moment? What's got me excited at the moment? It's mm. hard to be excited, isn't it? Because you don't really know when you're coming out the yep. end of moving on. But I'm, I'm going to say definitely the, the hypercar programme. Getting in with that because... It's tough outside Formula 1 for professional drivers. Very tough. Uh, and to be respected and to still be in the job that you love doing, um, mm. credit to it. Yeah. Is, is that the plan for, for the rest of this year? Is it just working on, on that 2022 programme? So I've been working on development uh, and stuff like that. But, I, you know, I, I still don't have anything even to drive this year yet. So, you know, right. I need to myself for... Um, I'm going to be having a year out of year in the sidelines. Um, but there's a few little things going on, but nothing, nothing concrete. Fair enough. Okay. Um, and... How much of your success would you put down to luck and right place, right time, and how much would you put down to sheer hard work? 
listen, you can always be lucky, you can always be unlucky. Um, uh, I'm going to say it's definitely more balanced towards hard work, you know, and I've thrown everything at it, absolutely everything. I don't really know what would have been the outcome had I not made it. I definitely wasn't good enough at anything else or, you know, I had a good business mind that my dad taught me the true morals in life and how to live your life and how to kind of bring the family business along, but I didn't have another automatic I'll fall into that that happened. So uh, I'm going to put it, put, put it more like 80, 20, you know, that side of things that, uh, you know, I, I've thrown as much as I could at it. When I look back, maybe I could have done more, but at the same point, you've got to enjoy your life. You've got to smile. Mm, you've got, I think you've got the perfect attitude for it now. Um, final question though, what are you scared of? What am I scared of? Probably that I'm not going to, um, I'm trying to think how you phrase this. Probably I'm not going to, I've not lived my life to its full when I've been young enough because I've sacrificed okay. so much for what I've done. Mm. Uh, and that's the biggest thing. Um, and, that, and that's, you know, and that's been honest. You know, I could have done a lot more when I was young, but then I've taken it upon ourselves that, you know, the impression I've had, let's have kids early enough. Let's try and get a life back, you know, think about the future, but listen, there might not be a future. Um, and that's something that you 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 take either early in life or take late in life. And I've kind of put my eggs in my basket to try and do that later in life. Yeah, excellent. Well, listen, um, I'm I'm going to let Harry sign off, seeing as he is your your <laughs> biggest fan. So, uh, Harry, over to you to to close the show. Paul Deresta, thank you very much for, uh, first of all, putting up with my endless pestering for the last however many months it's been. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, on the Most Mad podcast and really refreshing to, to hear your thoughts uh, on life in general and, and how you look back on your career. We're super excited to see uh, what this year brings, but also, of course, uh, what 2022 has in store for you as well with Peugeot and Hypercar. Paul Deresta, thank you so much for coming on to the Motormouth podcast. No, thank you. Thank you very much. As I said, it wasn't uh, for... I just wanted to be able to talk openly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the past few months, uh, I've not been digging your emails. They haven't been still in there. So, you know, and I've, only got seven, I've only got six or seven emails in the inbox, so you were one of them. So you, you were quite important. You know, my email is so kind of my to-do list. It's just my to-do list, so uh, I'll no. get don't worry about it and I get it I'm used to it I'm used to it no but you're a very busy man as well but we appreciate you uh, sharing your, your, your future plans as well. and thank god you did wait because they're really exciting so um, so yeah well best of luck for the rest of the season and uh, and we'll hope to speak to you soon I'm sure we will speak to you in any time give me, a, give me a call and I'll get you the right time if not during the summer or the- yeah <laughs> before you go one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences the official experience hospitality and travel program of Formula One F1 Experience Experiences is the closest you can get to the sports official ticket packages which include the best race tickets first class hotels travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a grand prix weekend f1 experiences offer packages like no other so to book your f1 experiences package today head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code motormouth you'll get five percent off too thank you so much for listening to the motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and facebook just search motormouth you can also download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast you <laughs>